We are coming to the end of the race in our series in Colossians. And if you would please turn to Colossians chapter 4. As Paul writes his concluding instructions in beginning in verse 2, this is what he says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning see all the treasures of Christ in your word. Lord, our hope is in Christ alone. And as we read your word, it is Christ we are seeking. It is Christ we are desiring to know. It is Christ who is our life. And so, Lord, as we study this morning, as we read this morning, as we listen this morning, Lord, give us hearts to hear and give us eyes to see the unfathomable riches of grace in Jesus Christ. It's his name we pray. Amen. I can still vividly recall the summer of 1965. I was a typical 10-year-old boy, naive, definitely mischievous, and ignorant of most things other than sports. On one particular summer day, I was at the pool and talking with a bunch of my 10-year-old friends, And I swam up to one of the lifeguards at the edge of the pool, popped my head out, and asked her a question. And to my ignorance, a very inappropriate question. It literally was a stupid boy. And being 1965, she did what girls were taught to do back then. She slapped me. And I was stunned. I had very little understanding as to what I had done and as to why she had slapped me and except that I learned one lesson very, very quickly that there is a right way and there is a wrong way to speak and both have consequences. And of course, this was later reinforced by my mom sticking a bar of soap in my mouth. The letter to the Colossian church is very much about speech. False teachers in Colossae are leading 
young Christians astray with persuasive words. Believers in the church are instructed in chapter 3 to put off old ways of speech, which anger and wrath, malice and slander, humility, meekness, and patience are what they are to put on. Get rid of the old, Paul says, and put on the new. He goes on to say, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns. And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Oh yeah, it's much about speech. And now, Paul reflects on what is the most important speech of all in the life of a Christian, which is prayer. No more important activity as a Christian. Paul lived and Paul breathed the gospel. As I studied this passage, I was telling Devin this morning, it is a very straightforward passage about prayer and praying for the gospel's advance. And yet, as I, as I dug into this passage, I was overwhelmed with how broad and rich, and I, because I'm, I'm not the theologian that other men are, I, I use their works to study, and as I dive into these commentaries, I so learn And I am so excited to share with you some of what I've learned this morning that your life, your speech, your prayer emulates the very instructions that Paul gives this morning. Paul lived and he breathed the gospel. That was his life. This passage is about prayer and it's about prayer's effect on Paul's gospel ministry. It's about prayer's effect upon our gospel ministry. It's also about prayer's effect upon us when we pray. What the Lord is doing in us. No activity in our lives reveals our dependence upon God more than prayer. No activity. No activity reveals our submission to Christ's lordship than prayer. And no activity does more, I believe, for the kingdom of God than prayer. Prayer draws us into deeper communion with the Lord more than any other activity that we participate in. It is transforming and it is life-sustaining. And to Paul, there was no gospel ministry without prayer. And that is why Paul writes this to us. Paul's purpose ultimately in this letter is first and foremost to show us the preeminence of Jesus Christ. He wants his readers, he wants, he wants the readers in Colossae, the listeners back then who, who sat around as Tychicus came and with Onesimus carried this letter from Paul and they sat and with anticipation they listened to the reading of Paul's letter, the reading of Paul's pastoral care for them. 
And Paul transports this letter for us because it is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Paul speaks to us today. And he's speaking to you and to me to continue steadfastly in prayer. So Paul's purpose in this letter is first and foremost showing us the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that we might worship him fully. That is, that is why we gather on Sunday morning. But he also wants us in our worship of Christ, he also wants us to follow his lordship faithfully in every area of our lives, especially in the way we speak and even more so in our prayers. Throughout this letter, he has immersed us in Jesus' incarnation, in Jesus' life and his death, his resurrection, his, his return, the gift of salvation, his transforming power, his promises, our future inheritance in him. Paul has shown us all of this in this four-chapter letter to the Colossians that we might fully worship and faithfully follow after Jesus Christ. Paul wants our hearts so captured with Jesus Christ. And before I go further, again, let these words in chapter 1 capture your heart again. Paul writes, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. You were created for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the church the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all, full, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, us, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Paul wants our hearts captured by Christ who so willingly shed his blood on the cross to pay for our sins, who so willingly offered up his life to death to reconcile us to God the Father. He wants us to be captured, so captured that living for Christ exceeds all other desires that we have in this life including our sinful temptations <clears throat> excuse me to use our speech destructively transformed by his grace paul wants our greatest desire to pray to commune with him to draw near to him to speak with him to live in his presence to experience 
His fellowship, to experience hearing from God. That is what Paul is pursuing in this letter for you and me. And prayer is the activity that above all expresses our willingness to live under His Lordship, to live for Christ. Paul's exhortation in this passage is exactly this. Prayer is what propels us to live for Christ and tell others about Christ. Prayer is what propels us to live for Christ and tell others about Christ. And so here is my proposition to you this morning. Committed to faithful prayer, we should speak first to God about outsiders before we speak to outsiders about God. Let us first speak to God about outsiders before we speak to outsiders about God. That is the essence of Paul's instructions here in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Three points this morning that Paul makes in this passage. The first is that we are to be faithful in prayer. Paul writes in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The first thing a transformed life shows is, the, is a change in how we speak. It, is, it, is, it was by no means surprising to me the work of the Spirit in my life when I first got saved in 1976. I had a profane mouth. I was just like the, the 21-year-olds around me and using profanity at the drop of a hat. And I get saved. And literally, I assume it was because God was just simply tired of hearing me speak that way. He transformed my speech. He gave me a grace to not use profanity from literally day one. God transforms us. And that is the first thing He does. He transforms the way we speak. And the, the most important thing a trans, transformed person can do with their tongue is to pray. To not pray is to live as though we are atheists. To live as though God is not in existence. To live a life apart from God. But to pray is to acknowledge that we have been transformed, to acknowledge that we live under His Lordship, to acknowledge that He exists. Prayer not only reveals a transformed life, it also continues to transform our lives. It's when we are taking time in prayer that God takes time to speak to us and we do need to be transformed. Transformation doesn't just happen as a one-time event. It is a transforming life. It is a life of progressive sanctification. One man wrote his prayer. He said, Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, or self-centered. I'm really happy about that so far. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. 
and then I'm going to need a lot of help. <laughs> in, in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul connects prayer with our transformation, our growing knowledge of Christ. He says in verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul connects prayer with a growing knowledge of Christ and a transformed life. He prays for his Colossian friends. My friends, prayer changes us. It just doesn't, isn't designed to just change our circumstances. Prayer begins by changing us. And in this passage, Paul lists list three imperatives, three commands that define the way we pray, to pray steadfastly, to pray watchful, and to pray thankful. And the first one, <clears throat> continue steadfastly. Paul has modeled a life of prayer. Again, in verse 9 of chapter 1, he said, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul was ever praying for these folks, for those who he had come to lead to faith in Christ. Paul, to Paul, prayer is a way of life, was a way of life, and he wants it to be a way of life here. Continue. Continue. Or in, in, in the New American Standard, it says, devote yourself. Continue steadfastly or devote yourself in prayer. This was Paul's life. We have not ceased to pray. Paul expresses this in other letters that he, he wrote. In Romans 12, chapter 12, Paul writes, be constant in prayer. In Ephesians six eighteen, he says, praying at all times. In 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. Earlier in one twenty three of Colossians, Paul urged the the, the Colossians to continue in the faith, stable and sed, steadfast. And his point is, we don't quit when it comes to our faith. And we don't quit when it comes to prayer. We continue steadfastly, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what is happening around us, regardless of whether or not we get the answer we want. Or we get no answer. It's silent. Oh, and how often has it been where I have prayed and it seems as though the iron sky is above me. And my prayers just bounce back. We talk about seasons of dryness. As though God is not hearing, but that's not who God is. He is faithful, and He wouldn't tell us to continue steadfastly in prayer if it was a futile activity. 
He wouldn't command us to live this lifestyle, to submit our lives to the Lordship of Christ in prayer if He wasn't going to answer. God is not capricious. And you have heard me say this again and again. He is He is not only eager to hear our prayers, God is eager to answer our prayers. We are just sometimes too eager to have it answered when we want. So Paul tells us, look, remain steadfast. The answer will come. God, God is your Father. God wants to care for you, does care for you, loves you, and will respond, and will meet the needs that you have, and will answer your prayer. At some point, whether it is yes, no, or not now, He will answer your prayer. And so Paul says, brothers and sisters, Pray without ceasing. Continue steadfastly. And then he goes on to say, being watchful. To be watchful is, in prayer is to be aware of all that is happening in life around you, in, around us now, to be attuned to what is happening in the lives of our family members, our church members, our, our friends, to be watchful is to take into account with an awareness and a sensitivity what is happening in the life of those around us. Now, in in your day and age, it's much easier with uh, Facebook because you can be aware of everything that everybody's doing at every moment of their lives as they are eating lunch. You know what they are having. And um, it is... (laughs) That's the world we live in. But... To be watchful is to have an awareness and a sensitivity as as Patty Stogsdale hears about her sister diagnosed with cancer and immediately praying for Patty, for Mike, or to hear Tom and Cindy and Jim and Vicky losing a granddaughter or grandson at eight months in the womb and to be praying for them and for DJ and for Drew to be aware of those who are suffering or to be aware of a family situation where an unsaved family member is in need of desperate prayer. That is to be watchful. And to be watchful is also, Paul, Paul wants us to be looking ahead to be watchful in hoping for and anticipating the return of Christ. Listen, we... Uh, praying for the return of Christ, wait, watching for the return of Christ is a decidedly Christian activity that is something we are to be doing. I think at times I, I can think, I, you know what, I'll see Jesus when I die. You know, and, and hopefully that's down the road, but I'll see Jesus when I 
physically die. And I don't, I don't think much that he actually could return. I don't think much about he said he could come like a thief in the night. But he can. And I think we can settle in to not being watchful for his return, just comfortable in, yeah, we'll get there when we die. But that's not what Scripture teaches. And so Paul wants us to be watchful, hoping for, and anticipating the return of Christ because it does affect the way we live. And when we pray and when we anticipate the return of Christ, even in our prayers, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. We will live differently. In our prayers, we must never lose sight of all that God has promised us in Christ. Jesus will return. Until then, God promises to hear and answer our prayers as we are taking time to continue steadfastly and be watchful. And then Paul goes on to say, with thanksgiving, what should motivate us to pray is a question. What should motivate us to pray? Is it crisis? Yes. Is it compassion for others? Yes. Both are appropriate motivations, but above all of these, Christian prayer is motivated by love, by our love for God, because He first loved us. And our prayers are to carry with it thanksgiving, a heart of gratefulness, a heart of thanksgiving. Why? Because He answers prayer, because He has loved us, because He has saved us, because we are now promised all in Christ, that the treasures of Christ are ours, our inheritance in Christ, our future, our eternity. We are to pray with thanksgiving. And I know I'm human like you. And I know how difficult that can be at times when we're suffering. Oh, I know how, I know how easy it is to complain rather than to be thankful. And that's why Paul, in fact, this is the fifth time in Colossians Paul tells us to be thankful. Rather than complain about how my prayers are answered, I should be thankful that God is hearing. So that is, that is the first point that Paul makes in verse 2. Be faithful in prayer. The second point is faithful in praying for others. Verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. At the same time, Paul writes, pray also. As you are praying, Paul writes, at the same time, pray for us. As we devote time to pray, brothers and sisters, it always includes, should include others. Paul's great burden is that the Colossians pray for him so that God would open a door so that he could proclaim the gospel. Sinclair Ferguson writes that the key that opens the doors to sharing the gospel is prayer. Declaring the mystery of Christ 
is Paul's life and calling and mission. And throughout his letters, he makes that known to us. Again, Paul lived and breathed simply to make the gospel known. And this is what Paul wants us to, one of the things he wants us to take away today is that we are gospel ministers. We are called. We are called as Christians to walk through open doors, to proclaim and to tell others about Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's who we are to be. That's who Paul wanted to be, and that's who Paul was. He wanted others to experience all the treasures in Christ that he found in Christ. And so he appeals for prayer that he might continue to declare the mystery of Christ clearly so that others would understand. Now, many New Testament scholars date the writing of the Colossian letter around A.D. 60, 61, and the writing of Paul's letter to the Philippians around A.D. 62. Both were most likely written when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and this is one of his prison epistles, and, and that is what we see here. Why is that important to this? Paul is asking for prayer from the Colossians so that the door may be open for him to share the gospel as he says here, on account of which I am in prison, to share the gospel where he is, in the circumstances that he's in, regardless of the circumstances that he is in. He is saying, look, pray for me that the door will be open, that I can share the gospel. And it appears that Paul's prayer And Paul's request for the Colossians to pray was answered. Listen to Philippians 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the prison Paul was in, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Much more bold. The whole imperial guard heard about Christ. The door was opened to hear about Christ. Paul was able to clearly articulate the story of Christ. And I attribute it to the Colossians prayed. Faithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer for others. And then thirdly, faithful in conduct to outsiders. Verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Walk in wisdom toward outsider. Wisdom will guide us in what we are to speak and how we are to speak. And Paul simply says, Walk in the wisdom that you have in Christ. As a believer, you have the wisdom 
that God has promised. James 1, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give to all men generously and without reproach. And let him ask in faith, not doubting. God promises to give us wisdom. And then he goes on to say, making the best use of the time. I doubt there is anyone, I doubt there is anyone in this room who thinks you have enough time. Who in this room has more time than they need? Yeah, nobody. The, the clock is the most, I think, most often the most influential determiner of how we live. For many, the clock decides what is most important and what has the greatest value. I only have so much time each day, each week, each month. Paul's position here is that the best use of our time is our submission to the lordship of Christ, especially our time in gospel ministry, regardless of what that costs. For Paul, that meant prison. Now, submitting our our use of the time God has given us to His kingdom priorities can be difficult. And at times, I think many of us, if not all of us, can feel like the demands of the Christian life, especially church life, are pitted against the demands of family life. So not true. So not true. Kingdom life and family life are not mutually exclusive but intimately connected to one another. Family life will be a life that is that much richer and more treasured by our investment into kingdom activities than personal fulfillment. Listen, I love, I love recreation. I love playing golf. I love watching sports. I especially love going out for ice cream. I, I love traveling to different places. But these things, even when benefiting my family, they are not the highest good I can do in my life. They are not the highest good I can do for my family. Kingdom life and kingdom priorities are the highest good and must be the highest on my list, even when it means, even when it means I might have to sacrifice family things that would be more appealing. One of the pastors years ago in Charlotte had five children, has five children, and Mondays was the day off. And once a month on Monday, rather than just a restful, recreational family time, in order to introduce his children to kingdom life and kingdom priorities and kingdom values, would take that Monday and drive down to downtown Charlotte to a Christian ministry called Love Incorporated, and for the day, that family would serve. He took his day off to introduce his family to kingdom living, to kingdom sacrifice, to kingdom life. And it was someone that is a man I very much respected for what he did. It's easy to think with the demands of family life, we don't... 
have time for outreach to our neighbors or outreach in attending church events or simply finding time even to tell others about Christ. But Paul found a way in prison. We, on average, eat 21 meals a week. Maybe some of you eat more, some of you eat less. I'm not identifying anybody who eats more than 21 meals a week. You can invite somebody into what you are already doing. You can make the best use of your time. You eat meals every week. Invite your neighbors into what you're already doing. The outreach one of the best places outreach begins is at the dinner table. And so that is what Paul wants us to do, is to invite folks into participating in what we're already doing by making use of the time that we have. The imperative here is make the best use of the time you have for the sake of outsiders. And finally, Paul ends where we began with our speech. And prayer has a direct effect upon this. When we are with outsiders, Paul says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious speech, words that are filled with God's grace, edifying words and wholesome words. As Paul states in Ephesians 4.29, let there always be something of the grace of Christ in the way you speak. And not to just to outsiders, but to everyone. And let it be seasoned with salt. Salt gives, in a sense, a a bite or a flavor to our speech. It gives a, it's a lingering taste. It draws a thirst. It's something that is remembered. And Paul goes on to say, knowing how to answer each person. Prayer, prayer, as we pray as we ask God to open doors, as we ask God, and this is what Paul is referring to, I believe, in, in 5 and 6, in verse 4, he says, that I may make it clear. That I may make it clear. He wants to declare the mystery of Christ. He wants it to be clear. And so let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person, each outsider. Make it clear. Oh, Lord, make my speech clear. And prayer brings that wisdom to know how to discern each person because how I relate to my neighbor next door to me may not be the way I should relate to my neighbor behind me or to the coworker that I invite to dinner or to the the neighbor down the street I invite to the hayride and bonfire. Now, we need the Spirit's discernment to know how to speak. We never change the message of the gospel. That's eternal. 
But we certainly can change our method and our approach and our words depending on who we are talking to. And that is what Paul is after here. Now, the application for this passage is pretty simple. Continue steadfastly in prayer. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't send you home with any more than, than that, really. But I realize prayer can sometimes be hard because it can feel so one-sided. And in our lives, communication typically goes two ways, especially in our day and age, emails and text and Twitter, whatever that is, and Instagram. And um, it's just, there, there's a bombardment of two-way communication. And prayer, prayer just sets us alone with God. Let me encourage you. If there's one point of application I can make outside, is this this. When you pray, turn off your phone. <laughs> Close your computer. Put your iPad under the pillow. Prayer sets us alone. Alone with our own thoughts. Alone with our own words. And at times, silence can be deafening. The application is, like I said, helpfully in the text. Continue. And that's why we must continue and be steadfast in prayer. Because it sometimes is a challenging activity. It is a hard activity. But prayer, brothers and sisters, Prayer is a transforming activity. It transforms your life. And as we see here in Paul's life, it, it transformed his ministry and his gospel proclamation. Now, as you sit here today, there may be some of you here that don't know the Lord, have not come to faith in Christ. You've not put your trust in Christ. Let me tell you that the most important prayer of all times is the very first one where we say, Lord, have mercy on me. Come, forgive me. Let me encourage you, if you do not know the Lord, that is the place to start. And for those of us who are transformed by God. Let us, for the sake of this church, for the sake of your pastors, for the sake of our purpose here, our gospel proclamation, do this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, being thankful, Continue steadfastly to pray that a door would be open for every member here for the gospel to be shared with those around them. And pray that those in this church would walk in wisdom with outsiders. Pray that our speech would be gracious, that our speech would be seasoned with salt. Pray that we would have the discernment to know how to speak to each person. 
that ultimately we would glorify God in the life of Grace Church. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us the privilege of communication with you. And my prayer this morning for every person here and the members of our church who are not here, Lord, that that prayer would become a high-value kingdom activity in their life. And where there is condemnation now for those who might be struggling for not praying, Lord, just remind them of your forgiveness. Remind them of your grace. Remind them that they can easily come to your throne of grace and pray once again. And Lord, would you please answer the prayers of our church, the prayers for open doors, the prayers for the gospel to be proclaimed, Lord, the prayers for those who we petition for who are suffering. Lord, thank you that you are eager to hear our prayers and eager to answer our prayers. And it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.